This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. Call this meeting to order. Thanks, everyone, for being here. Meeting number 14 of the House of Commons Standing Committee on Canadian Heritage, pursuant to Standing Order 1082 and the motion adopted by the committee on Monday, December 7th. The committee is meeting on its study on the subject matter of Bill C-10, or as we sometimes like to call it, the pre-study, to a potential bill. The Standing Committee on Canadian Heritage last week started what it is calling a pre-study on Bill C-10, the Broadcasting Act Reform Bill. The hearings raised some significant procedural concerns, given that the bill has not yet passed second reading, so the committee is technically conducting a study about the bill rather than studying the bill itself. Moreover, committee members have indicated that they've already been invited to provide potential amendments to a bill that hasn't even made it out to committee, much less been the subject of a full study. As one MP noted, how are they supposed to provide suggested reforms when they haven't heard from the witnesses yet? That suggests that this may not be the comprehensive study that Bill C-10 so desperately needs. Now, despite those qualms, I was pleased to be invited to appear before the committee and discuss some of the concerns that I've identified with the bill. This week's podcast features my opening statement, and the full exchanges that I had with Conservative MP Kevin Waugh and Liberal MP Marcy Ian. The audio isn't ideal, but I hope that the recordings give a sense of both the policy concerns with the bill and the kinds of questions that the MPs are asking. I was first invited by Committee Chair Scott Sims to start with a five-minute opening statement. Now we go to, uh, oh, is a stranger in the house, Dr. Geis. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just being so facetious. Uh, Dr. Geis, please don't take the wrong way. I've known you for many years, sir. You've been on many committees. I don't think I have to tell you how this works. Five minutes, sir, and it's all yours. Oh, thanks, so much. thanks so much, uh, Mr. Chair. Um, and it's a pleasure to be back at this committee. Uh, good afternoon. My name is Michael Geis. I'm a law professor at the University of Ottawa, where I hold the Canada Research Chair in Internet and E-Commerce Law and I'm a member of the Center for Law, Technology, and Society. I appear in a personal capacity representing only my own views. Now, as you may know, I've been quite critical about Bill C-10. However, please understand that criticism of the bill is not criticism of public support for film and television production. Support through all levels of government is essential. Rather, the question is whether Bill C-10 is the best way to provide that support. And having carefully studied the bill, I'd argue that it's not. I'd like to get started by pointing to four broad concerns. First, there is no free lunch. What appears to be free, as in new free money for the sector, comes at an enormous cost, and not just to consumers in the form of higher bills at a particularly difficult economic time. I recently was engaged in a debate with Janet Yale of the Yale Report, in which she acknowledged broadcasting policy restricts consumer choice. So we know there will be a cost to consumers. Less understood is the cost to creators from the bill loss of fundamental principles, such as Canadian ownership and control of the broadcast system, loss of the predominance of Canadian talent, the risk to Canadian intellectual property, and the short to medium term risk of less production due to an uncertain regulatory environment. Second, the bill punts many of the most important details, leaving it to lengthy processes at the CRTC or secretive cabinet decisions. The level of uncertainty, what's not in the bill, is astonishing. Legislation is supposed to remove uncertainty, and this does the opposite. Now, the minister has said he plans to issue a policy direction that could cover everything from exclusion of video games to an IP policy 
to revisiting the definition of Canadian program. Respectfully, that simply isn't good enough to meet the kind of transparency standards that the government has long set for itself. Indeed, there is so much unanswered that it will take years to sort out and creators will have to wait at least until the latter half of this decade for the promised benefits. Third, this isn't about leveling the playing field. I've written extensively about the advantages enjoyed by conventional broadcasters, whether simultaneous substitution, market protections, must carry rules, or copyright retransmission benefits. There is no like for like here. Fourth, with all due respect, some of the claims about the bill simply don't stand up to scrutiny. The minister has told the House of Commons that the bill contains economic thresholds when it doesn't, that it excludes news when it doesn't, that it won't affect Canadian ownership requirements when it will, that the entire process will somehow be completed by this year, which it quite clearly won't, and that it is similar in approach to what's been implemented in Europe when it isn't. These aren't inconsequential issues. As you may know, I've written a 20-part series about the bill that I'd be happy to table with the committee. With more time, I would delve into the many issues that are that raised in, those, in that series. They include concerns about the approach of regulating all internet streaming services anywhere in the world with some Canadian subscribers, and then working backwards by saying that some might be exempted in a process that will take years to unfold. That simply just doesn't work. The registration and data disclosure requirements would still apply to all, and the inevitable result would be less choice for consumers and less revenue for creators as services block the Canadian market or simply license their content into Canada. Moreover, the risks to Canadian intellectual property are enormous, potentially making Netflix and Amazon the kingmakers of Canadian content and leaving Canadian broadcasters with leftover scraps. In my last minute, how can we fix this? Three points. First, thresholds in the legislation are essential so that rules only apply to the largest companies that have a real and substantial connection to the Canadian market. Second, a transparent approach on critical policies is needed before the legislation is passed, not after. No bill should create more questions than it answers. Third, there is a solution that would put money into the hands of creators this year, not in five years. I think we all want large internet companies to make an appropriate contribution in Canada. And we have a system for that. It's called taxation. Tax revenues can be used however we want including in direct support for film and television production. Government could say 30% of these new revenues go directly to the sector. That doesn't require changing the core policies of the Broadcasting Act. It doesn't require a secretive policy direction or years of litigation at the CRTC. It doesn't lessen competition, increase consumer costs during a pandemic, or decrease choice. And it doesn't create huge uncertainty in the market for the foreseeable future. Broadcasting Act is an essential piece of legislation, not only for the film and television sector, but for all Canadians. We all deserve better. I welcome your question. After the opening statements of all three witnesses, the chair turned to Mr. Waugh for his questions. Uh, Dr. Geist, uh, I've looked through your 20-part series. You've been the most controversial person, if you don't mind me saying, in the country towards uh, the broadcasting bill, C-10. You talked about it for five minutes. We could probably hear from you for an hour. But uh, you spent a month dissecting this bill. You feel it is deeply flawed. You gave us some reasons why. Uh, But it's going to have a major impact if it is passed through the House of Commons. And I'd like you to comment on that. Sure. Thanks for for reading. (laughs) Thanks for the question. 
Uh, I mean, I, you know, I tried to highlight a few of the things, and, and I think the impact will be felt across a number of different kinds of stakeholders. From a consumer perspective, uh, as I noted, what this is going to do is going to decrease choice and raise costs. There will be services that will not enter the Canadian market. This will particularly hit multicultural communities in Canada that often rely upon different services from other countries that stream in. Many of them they look at the associated regulated costs and say they're simply not interested in entering into the marketplace. Less choice, higher cost for consumers at a difficult time. From a broadcaster perspective, I think it actually puts many of them in a disadvantage as well. They're going to have to compete with some of the large companies like Netflix and Amazon for Canadian content. They're going to get outbid and they're going to be left with intellectual property that isn't uh, the very best because that's going to be scooped up by some of their American counterparts. And they're going to find themselves in a difficult position because streaming services, even Canadian streaming services, will be able to get foreign capital. They'll still be restricted and not have access to the same kind of capital. And from a creator perspective, I want to emphasize again, this is going to take years. Anyone who's done anything at the CRTC knows you were talking about lengthy hearings, followed by judicial review, followed by the prospect of more hearings. It will take at least half a decade to get this sorted out. And so from a creator perspective, there aren't a whole lot of gains to be had, certainly not in the short term. And it's somewhat ironic, given that the sector, at least pre-COVID, was enjoying robust, uh, robust financing and, in fact, was record-setting amounts uh, of film and TV production in Canada. I agree with you there. Uh, the minister and the liberals have talked about um, comparing this to what they do in France, what they do in the UK, what they're trying to do in Australia. You feel that's misleading in this bill, and why do you feel that? It is, because it simply isn't what's happening. The, the, the reference point is often to the European audio, Audiovisual Directive, but we should be clear. There are only four member states, Denmark, Germany, Sweden, and the UK, that have currently transposed the directive. That means there are more than 20 member states that haven't even moved forward with it. And if we take a look at the kind of obligations even the countries that have implemented this have done, they're far different from what is being proposed here. Denmark, for example, has a 2% direct investment requirement. That's a far cry from the 30% that the minister has been thinking about. And there is no content quota at all in Denmark. In Germany, the levy runs between 1.8 and 2.2%. Uh, Spain is thinking about a 5% requirement. Plus, we, so, so the, the dollars are just dramatically different compared to what the government is thinking about when it has its billion dollars that it talks about in terms of new gains compared to what is being imposed uh, in Europe. And it's an in-app comparison more broadly because the, the requirements apply across the EU. We're a single small market. And so if you've got an obligation that can be spread, let's say 1% across nearly 30 member states, that is very different from the same 30% on one country with you know, 37, 38 million people. We don't feel the 835 million that the minister claims will be the windfall in this from streaming uh, providers. We don't share the enthusiasm with the minister on this um, because there is no accountability with the 835 million. Uh, we've asked for the information now. We've heard that it's coming. Uh, but at the same time, uh, when we talk to companies like Disney and Netflix and Amazon and Apple, point of order. they don't see this at all, Mr. Uh, point of order. Yes, Ms. DeBruzen, please. Uh, just as a point of clarification, not that it's forthcoming, the, the point that was raised that it has actually, in fact, already been shared months ago. Okay. 
Okay, thank you, Mr. Brusens. I'll leave that at that. Uh, Mr. Waugh, back, back to you. Yeah, so the $835 million that they claim will be the windfall from these streaming companies, um, and, and the concern here is, where does it go? And, and we can't find out, other than we've heard that they have brought it forward now, but uh, they're not shared when you talk to Netflix, Amazon, Apple, and so on. They, they do not share uh, the robust $835 million that they may be in charge of, in bringing extra money to Canada. Yeah, let me just run with a couple of things. One, it's, it's great that the, that information was provided to the committee months ago. It would be even greater if the Canadian public had access to that information. And that the, the fact that so much of this data has not been provided about the implementation, about even some of the analysis to the broader public, I think has been problematic with all respect. In terms of the money, it's a lot of it is not even new money. These companies are already investing hundreds of millions of dollars in Canada. Uh, we know that because we've seen increased spending in film and TV production in Canada in recent years. Much of that is coming from form-based services. And so what we know will happen is in the short term, many of them may cut back because of the uncertainty as to whether or not it will count for the purposes of these new requirements. Once, that, once, once they then figure it out, it's just going to be shifting dollars from one pot to another. The idea that this brings in all this new revenue simply isn't the case. And in fact, we run the risk as well of certain services that might otherwise come into the market and invest, saying that the Canadian market isn't worth the hassle. That's less money for creators and, of course, higher costs and less choice for consumers. Liberal MP Marcy Ian followed with questions for all three witnesses. I came toward the end of the discussion and tried to squeeze in some comments about why I think the conventional broadcast rules are a poor fit for Internet streaming services. Mr. Geist, uh, there was a laundry list of things that you told us that you didn't like about the bill, about Bill C-10, and how Canadians would be impacted and the level of secrecy and all of these different things. I'm just wondering if there's anything you do agree with. Well, I think there's value unquestionably about re-examining where the Broadcasting Act is. I think that what this seeks to do, and I think we're seeing it even in, the, in a couple of comments that my fellow panelists have made, is by claiming that this is all one system. The internet's the same system as broadcaster, uh, television and radio, and we can have the same rules apply. The problem is that it isn't. You know, the longstanding policy we've had in broadcasting, of course, you're a longstanding broadcaster. Um, those policies were premised on scarcity of, of uh, spectrum, of, of the privilege of having those licenses and the requirement to give back. The internet is different. There is not the same kinds of requirements. There's far more expressive potential, there's far more opportunities for creators and for consumers alike. And the Do problem is when you try to put Do that Dr. square Geist. peg in a round hole, sorry, just let me just finish the sentence, uh, Mr. Chair. When you try to put that square peg in a round hole, you end up with exactly the kinds of things that was mentioned. Thank you. Unfortunately, that was the extent of the interventions, as some of the procedural discussions at the start of the meeting limited the time for all the witnesses. I was grateful for the chance to appear, but remained deeply concerned about the bill and the attempts to fast-track it through committee without careful study. That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to lawbites at pobox.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at lawbitespod or Michael Geist at mgeist. 
You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The Law Bites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Mm-hmm.